I'm Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. This is a podcast for women who wonder how strength and weakness coexist, or how to bless both bravery and tenderness. For those longing to bring the fullness of their glory to the world without a chip on their shoulder. For those who have embraced a global sisterhood and left small storied lives behind, this is for you. The fierce and lovely women seeking the both and of a big storied life. Join me as I chat with fierce and lovely women around the world. episode, I talk with Emily Mills, wife, mother, singer-songwriter, and founder of the nonprofit Jesus Said Love down in Waco, Texas. Emily and I have seemingly been living parallel lives in our fight against human trafficking, and I had so much fun hearing about all the things she and her husband are doing to walk alongside of women exiting the sex industry, as well as curbing demand down in Waco. What I love most about Emily's perspective is that we are all sisters. When we consider the the wounding, the places of brokenness that we all have, and the ways that we have developed coping mechanisms, uh, it just looks different. No matter the path we've taken, though, um, we are sisters and all in need of healing and restoration and redemption. Some of our coping mechanisms look healthy in the world's eyes, like being driven and ambitious. And sometimes it looks like illegal substances, but the wounding is often similar and the healing is always the same. Emily was an incredible example to me of a fierce and lovely woman. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, Emily, welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. Well, I have so many questions, like a thousand questions for you um, of just all the things because we, I feel like we have such a, a similar um, life that we've been walking the past decade. And so we're going to jump into all of all of that. And I'm going to try and contain this to a normal amount of time for my <laughs> listeners. We can always um, come back, right? We can always take two. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But let's let's start off. Tell it, Just give us some of the data, some of the facts mm-hmm. about um, all the roles you play and where you are and what occupies your day-to-day. Sure. So I am in Waco, Texas, first of all. My family, uh, my husband and three children, an unruly dog, all have camped down and called Waco home for the last, oh, you know, 20 years. Um, So I am the founder of Jesus Said Love, and we are a space that ministers to women and men who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. Our vision is to awaken hope and empower change. Um, I'm also the founder of our social enterprise, which is Lovely Enterprises. And that is a space that we've dedicated to giving women living wage jobs and launching micro businesses. Um, All of the proceeds, it is a program of Jesus Said Love. And so all the proceeds benefit the work that we are doing there. Um, 
my husband and I are also singer, songwriter, worship leaders. And so that's how we got started in ministry. And it still is a very deep thread. The arts, um, music is very much a part of my day-to-day life. Hmm. Well, I want to I wanna hear all about the story of, of that and how this came to be. Um, r- real quickly, how old are your kids? So my oldest is a, my daughter, Hattie is 15. She'll be 16 in March. So do you have a kid? Do you have a daughter? I have a 15 year old daughter. Yes. Yes. Okay. I thought I remember that. Um, so Hattie is 15. Lucy is 13 going on 14. So she'll be 14 in March. And then my son Gus is eight and he'll be nine in January. Okay. Yeah. I also have a 12 year old daughter. Um, and then my son's the oldest instead of the youngest, but we are actually living parallel lives. Yeah, for real. I mean, truly it's so, it's so remarkable to be doing this work and to be doing it with family. Mm, Yes. So, So incredible. And I'm sure to have teenage girls and to be doing this kind of work, I know for me, um, it became all the more powerful. Right. When they became teenagers. Yeah. So, okay. So tell us, tell me the story of how this all came to be. You and your husband are leading worship. That's your ministry. And then what, what begins to happen that evolves into Jesus said love? Yeah. So I would say I have to back up just a few years prior. I mean, of course it goes back even further, but I would say a few years prior when I came to Baylor, a university that I really, you know, I'm away from home for the first time. Um, I didn't grow up necessarily experiencing this kind of movement of like in the nineties, there was this, um, Louis Giglio started a Bible study at Baylor that became uh, passion and, and then like the passion movement birth uh-huh. out of there. And so Brett and I got to be kind of just a part of that. Um, And I really, being away from home and then kind of deep diving a little bit into my own story of trauma and then experiencing more experiential worship was just kind of all rolled into what one big, what do do I do with my story and what do I do with this whole worship thing Um, and and my song because I was a singer. And so I really thought um, going to school that that's, that was my trajectory, that I wanted to be a singer, performer. I wanted to be a recording artist. And um, and then God uh, really kind of wrecked a lot of that in terms of my voice not just being about a song, but my voice being about uh, a space, a life. Um, and mm. so it. I met Brett through that Bible study at Baylor and I began singing on the worship team and we began traveling around doing all these disciple nows. In the meantime, I was also um, serving the homeless through Mission Waco, Mission World on Friday mornings. And so as Brett and I continued to lead worship on platforms, it became this really odd thing to be this intersectionality between serving the homeless, meeting women in prostitution, bringing their babies to 630 morning prayer breakfast and just encountering all that. And then hopping in a you know van to smoke and lights and and sing songs to Christian people. It just it was just a tension that I wasn't sure what to do with. And I would mm-hmm. say that um, I just kind of held space for the question for 
like, what does this mean? Like something feels off, but I don't know what it is. And so God just, I, the only prayer we knew to pray as Brett and I continued to date, engaged and got married was God to help us put feet to the songs that we're singing, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and that really was our prayer. And then in 2004, after our first daughter had been born, we ended up in Austin, Texas, and we were leading worship for a women's conference. We knew that this women's conference, uh, it was called the Magdalene Project. It was like a fundraiser for them. And they were raising funds for you know women who had been in the sex industry. I was super clueless about that. I didn't really understand what it meant. I had a ton of bias and preconceived notions about who this woman was and, and what her story was. And, and so we went in to sing these songs and then little did we know the, the survivors, the women were going to take the stage and in their own words, share who they were, share their story. And, and we were just, we were wrecked. And I had this really crystal clear kind of moment of like, you need to know, like, you need to know them and, and they need to know you. And there's three clubs in Waco go, go and get to know the women. And, um, and so it was two weeks before Easter. And so kind of the premise of this outreach, um, that we were leading worship for was to go and bring Easter to the clubs. And, and so that's what we did. And, and from that point on, it really became just this deep dive into a lot of my ideas and preconceived notions and really the reason God had led me there um, was not to quote save strippers. It was not to uh, any of these things, these kind of just evangelical driven, you know, go save these souls. This was about uh, being led by them and Mm. by um, through, through women in the industry I had to reconcile my story. I had to look in the mirror. And that's the whole point of the gospel. That's the whole point of Isaiah 58 is that, you know, feed the hungry, clothe the poor, and then your healing will appear. You know, it's not get all healed up and then go feed the hungry and clothe the naked and provide the poor wanderer with shelter you know, it's, it's actually quite opposite. Um, and so I just find that this whole journey, as much as it's been about, you know, um, encountering broken systems and removing the obstacles from, you know, a marginalized section of women, that it's as much been about my own journey of healing. I find so much strength in them. Oh, wow. So beautiful. That's so powerful, Emily. Just the the, re, the way you've read that passage um, gave me goosebumps. Mm. What what's some of the transformation that you have experienced personally walking alongside of these women and walking with Jesus into areas of darkness? Yeah. Well, I knew I knew that in my background that I had encountered childhood sexual abuse, and I knew that the women that we reached had encountered, you know, in high, you know, high, high levels of uh, childhood sexual abuse and trauma. But what I didn't know was that my coping mechanisms were equally as damaging as many of the ways that they had coped that where maybe they picked up 
um, drugs or promiscuity, I picked up religion and absolutes. And I picked up, um, you know, performance-based religion. And I picked up this desire to be adored and seen and loved in a way that was based on how good and perfect I could be. And that was equally as damaging to others and equally as damaging to the kingdom um, of light and goodness and beauty as was addiction to meth or addiction to, you know, men. Um, So it really forced me to really just reconcile and really see. um, I think one of the things I recognized was also not just my own childhood abuse, but um, a lot of just family of origin dysfunction. Um, I hadn't been willing to really name and call um, some of those things dysfunctional. I also saw um, addiction in a whole new way. And because of the work of JSL, I'm now two years into Al-Anon, um, which has huh. been transformational for me. Um, and so I'm working the same steps in my own disease and my own sickness as being um, someone who struggles with the Al-Anon disease, which is controlling and fixing people. Um, and I'm working the same steps as I wish my family members and my friends uh, would be working those steps toward recovery. Wow. Such a flattening um, of, of roles with these women, um, yeah. just really viewing each other as sisters right. with your own brokenness and all of your need, all of our need for redemption and restoration. Yeah. I'm sure that also garnered so much favor um, with the women mm. that you're not coming to them with any kind of power differential, um, but humbly right alongside of them. Yeah. And I think that's been part of my, part of my tension, part of my growth is because I love solving problems. And the problem with loving solving problems is that people are sometimes a problem. <laughs> so, so you start trying to solve people instead of solving problems. And so I became um, really, really aware that um, we want, I, I have struggled with codependency as well. And so what I saw was I wanted someone to have the answers for me. You know, um, I didn't like trying to find what I believed, what I thought was the right, right. I didn't, I didn't realize how empowering a collaborative God relationship is that, that God's literally like, yes, right. I've given you a brain, right? Yes. Go. Yes. Figure this out. Ask me reason with me, but then you're, you're going to make a decision. And, um, that became something that I saw so clearly that that became a challenge leadership wise is that, you know, as much as I want a leader to kind of tell me what to do, um, you know, there's a lot of, of women who are codependent, who are looking for people to tell them what to do or looking for men to tell them how to be and how to behave. And so it really is when we say awakening hope and empowering change, it means we have to deconstruct the areas where we've been super codependent on some sort of 
authority or religious system or, you know, person to, or parent to define our life for us. And that is hard. That's hard for me. That's hard for every woman uh, we're trying to lead with and lead alongside uh, because we desperately want hierarchy and God just doesn't work that way. Hmm. You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely the harder road. It's so hard. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard all the way around. It is. So in this, Emily, where have you seen some of your own struggle with fierce and lovely and reflecting both of those um, to the world and to your work? And also, where have you seen that in some of the women that Mm -hmm. are a part of Jesus said love? Yeah. So I think that my definition of fierce is probably a lot of what the women that we work with every day would often define as fierce, which is, you know, tough as nails, be a hard ass, like go make your buck, you know, hustle outweighs humility. Um, and those are just super counter to the kingdom. Hmm. And so my journey has been, I think the hardest disposition to maintain in this world is softness. And that is fierce. Hmm. It is fierce to be open and to be soft because it means to be vulnerable. And that terrifies me. I don't enjoy that. I just know that that's the truth I need to wrestle leaning into is that my fierceness and my strength comes from an open posture with God and with others even if that means it may hurt along the way, it doesn't mean I set myself up for continual abuse. It actually means like, because I've been hurt, now I get to know where to draw my boundary. And now I get to fiercely define who I want to become and who I believe God has created me to be. I get to fiercely protect, um, my identity with Christ and, um, so that that has been something I'm I'm definitely learning and undoing. I think as a woman, I'm having to undo a whole lot of what I've been told, <laughs> what we've been told, like, right, or what we've just uh, come to believe and lived like lived under for decades. Totally, it's just the kingdom is just upside down, and it doesn't mean I can't have power and I can't be bold and I can't speak my truth. It just means my heart posture is, um, you know, I had this thought that, that I guess it was last year, I was thinking a lot about, you know, how a gentle and quiet spirit does not always mean a quiet mouth. Right. It doesn't. Right. But it means that in speaking very loudly and clearly and boldly, sometimes my heart is still and at peace, and there's not a raging, you know, storm there of noise, that I can have a very quiet spirit and have a very loud, powerful voice, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking a lot about that as far as um, what that looks like. And then, man, as far as the second question you said, what's fierce and then lovely, um, I mean, that's the name of our social enterprise, right? So lovely enterprises 
really embodies so much of um, what we do. We we like to call it like it's the ray of sunshine in the JSL family. It gets to kind of soar and be about putting so much goodness out into the world, goodness and truth um, and beauty, bringing about beauty onto the earth, which I just feel like the world is so in need of right now. Hmm. Yes, it is. Um, so, so, okay, I want to know a little bit more about the enterprise, and yeah. I want to know about, I want to know about all the things you're doing. So, you start by going into strip clubs, mm-hmm. and then it evolves and grows, and now that's just one aspect of what you're doing. Am I right. correct in that? You're correct. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, tell us, tell me about lovely. Tell me about what it is that you're making or, or what that looks like and how microloans are a part of that. Tell, tell us about the access program and how you're equipping women to kind of walk into an alternative, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sustainable living wage kind of mm-hmm. life. Um, tell us about the demand school, tell, all the things I want to okay. know. So... Two, three years ago, we were given a building by a donor who stepped forward and bought a building outright for us and said, we believe, well, we had kind of pitched on social media. We, we believe God really wants us to have this space to create a physical space for Jesus said love. Cause prior to three years ago, we were operating out of our home. We had a little guest house in the back. I would hold meetings in the front and then we would bum space off of churches and McDonald's Wi-Fi, and it was it was like anywhere we could meet with with women or um, host trainings and outreach, getting ready for prayer, all that kind of stuff. We were just bumming space all the way around, and um, and then housing sometimes women like in our back house, in our um, guest house. And so um, it came the time that a donor stepped up that we really believed that there was more that God wanted to do and it needed a space. It needed physical space in Waco. And so building was given and then we had to pray, okay, what, what does God want to build within these walls? Like what programs need to exist that will awaken hope and empower change? And so we gathered women who we knew from the industry And we um, met up at the building, prayed over it. And we said, what do you guys, what do you want? Like, what do you need? This is, this is our space together. Like, what can we create together that will pave the way for more women? And without a doubt, they all said, we need jobs. Mm -hmm. We've got to have jobs and we need to know how to keep the jobs that we get because sometimes we can get a job, but we can't keep a job. And so what out of that came two things, the access program, which is how do I own my influence? How do I, how do I gain access to all these resources in the community that right now I don't feel like I have access to? Like, I don't feel like I've got agency in my own community to go and, and get some of these things that may be available, but I can't get them. So that was access. So it's an eight week holistic training program that women um, can apply for as they transition out of the commercial sex industry. They're paid a living wage stipend to take the class. So in it, they're, they're in essence scholarship 
students for those eight weeks. It's Monday through Friday, nine to three. They get $12 an hour for every hour that they come. They take parenting classes, financial literacy, um, Bible, spiritual formation, leadership development, um, group therapy, fitness, nutrition. It's very holistic in its approach. And it's an amazing uh, program. All of our women who just graduated a few weeks ago now have full-time jobs. So we are super, super proud of them. Um, Of course, the work will come and keeping that right and, and being a part of that continued recovery process. So after they go through Access 1, they can apply for Access 2, and that is where women apply for a microloan to start their own business. If women are entrepreneurial, um, they can come and apply for Access 2, which is a self-paced program where we help them put together a business uh, plan for their entrepreneurial endeavor, and then they pitch that before a dream team and can secure up to a $5,000 loan through Lovely. Um, And Waco is really cool right now because what we have going on is there's a lot of different entrepreneurs in our city because we're kind of in a really revitalization process. And so there's a lot of people willing to invest. And so even if our $5,000 isn't enough to get the whole business plan off the ground, we can connect with other entrepreneurs in the city who may want to chip in you know, another five or 10 to get them to the space where they can open up their business. Wow. Yeah. So that's really cool. So our first girl that we, um, that really paved the way for this, her name's Summer and she owns Luna Juice Bar. So you can check her out on Instagram. And she started by just selling juice out of a recovery home that we, um, were able to get her to. She had been in the prostitution uh, world for months, was just had tried to commit suicide several times. The Lord just continued to, to really revive her. And, um, and by the time we, um, we were able to partner with her and get her to a safe place in Victoria, Texas. Within nine months, the woman had a full-fledged business plan. She wouldn't have a juice bar. She was like, I need you guys to invest. And so it became kind of this long process, but um, she just paved the way. She's, She's killing it. She now not only has her own business, but she runs three sober living homes in Waco and will house women who are coming out of addiction. Oh my goodness. So Incredible. She, she's, she's crazy. Amazing. Like I learn from her ways all the time. She has a drive like I've never seen. Right. Wow. She just, she just needed a little bit of assistance to come out of something and apply her gifts and and skills and passions to something else and needed that boost to make it happen. Yeah. And it, and it was a journey for her, you know, relapse, we know relapse is part of recovery. Um, and so, you know, in Summer's case, like she, she'd done the, I mean, she was the most skilled, qualified addiction recovery person who is still using that I've ever known. I mean, she had a <laughs> licensed chemical dependency, like degree. She had run a sober living home before, um, But addiction is huge because it taps into this place of belonging for us. And so what Summer has taught me is that until those places and those lonely spaces of self-worth and self-love and belonging are reconciled, we will keep spinning out. We will continue to relapse, whether it's 
to um, an emotional addiction or a, a physical, you know, drug or alcohol addiction. So wow. she, yes. she is a real, she's a real hero for me. I just heard a young life leader explain that exact same thing regarding teenagers and social media, that totally. it's the same need for belonging and need for community. And it becomes an addiction because mm-hmm. something is being met in that. Right. And right. until we get at some of the, those deeper needs and meet them in other ways, mm-hmm. no amount of control on social media or on our phones is going to change the behavior because mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing with what you just described. It's fascinating. It's so true. And I do. And that's where it comes in when we think about our children and we're doing this work with our family, right? And we're, and it's just that real sobering, for lack of a better word, but it is, it's a sobering reality to realize that what we're forming within our family is so crucial to how they go and live and and function in the world and in the kingdom. Um, So yeah, it is, it's a very sobering truth. Hmm. So the access program is, is that connected to the social enterprise where they could also work at lovely enterprises? Yes. So they get job training uh, through several different job sites within the Waco community, but they also um, learn how to make products. We, we are all um, you know, socially responsible, ethically sourced. We sell fair trade goods as well that we create. Um, so upcycled leather jewelry, body scrubs, facial mist, and t-shirts with our messaging and awareness apparel. So they learn how to manage a retail storefront. They learn uh, simple skills like, um, you know, creating leather earrings. So it's just another tool to go in their belt as they're becoming um, ready for employment. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we can't hire them because we, you know, we're limited in what we can hire because we own we have what we, you know, we only make what we sell. And so (laughs) that's why we're trying to promote Lovely as much as we can, because we know the more we sell, the more women we can bring on board to work for Lovely um, and within Lovely and the more money we have to invest in these microloans. So it's really, really important that we get the message out there, especially in the holiday season. So are you, um, I assume there's an online store Yes. People can order online. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, you can follow us at lovely enterprises on social media. You can follow Jesus said love on social media. And then the website for lovely is our lovely store.com. Okay. And I'll make sure yeah. all of that is in the show notes as well. Yeah. So, so all of this is, is this primarily your outreach? Um, is it primarily to women in the sex industry? So recently we were given through the, our uh, human trafficking coalition that we're a part of, the need arose in a lot of the um, stings that law enforcement was doing to have a rehabilitative uh, program for men who had been arrested in these stings. And so we really felt like, and Brett, my husband, who's our CEO, um, as we've partnered in this, he said, you know, we could work with the supply chain, which is the women of the supply chain of the commercial sex industry, we could work until the cows come home. Like we, we could work forever, but until we do something about the demand, then 
there's really going to be no change in this economic cycle because all it is is simple economics. I mean, exactly. there's a supply because there's a demand for it. And so we um, created Stop Demand School, which is a intervention program um, where Brett teaches the men who are arrested. And, and really, it's if women get arrested too, they can take this course as well. But it's been only men. We've been at it. It took us two years to get the program up and going in Waco to get all the judges, probation officers, all that. Right. Yes. Infrastructure done. <laughs> that was work. And then once we did, now we um, we partner with Baylor University to um, do research on the data that we collect. So mm-hmm. there's been about 100 men who've come through um, the program so far. There's also been other <clears throat> counties in Texas who've been calling and asking, you know, how do we bring this to – Collin County. How do we bring this to Bell County? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's starting to take off this concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's exactly what we've done here. Exactly the same. And it was paramount to law enforcement, you know, to make their efforts worth it um, on the other end to have something that would help men better understand the true nature of the sex industry, the real story behind, you know, over 90% of the women in those hotel rooms and on those websites. So our program is run the same. We've also had about 100 guys go through. We also partner with a local university who's doing research. And I don't know about you guys, but do you see the shift in attitude throughout the course uh, where they come in initially just angry and annoyed that this is even a crime and leave mm-hmm. feeling contrite and uh, almost activated themselves to go out and protect instead of perpetrate? We see that. I, f- I feel like it depends on the class. It's really interesting. Um, every class just takes on its own personality and some classes of of men feels a lot more resistant. Um, but we do have story after story of, um, for instance, one police officer who had arrested, it was a police chief had arrested many, many men that were taking this particular course. And she wanted to see what stop demand school was about as her, um, as the offenders, you know, she came down with the offenders and sat and observed in the class. They were very hostile of course, toward her and toward um, the class to begin with. And at the end of the class, after hearing about the human trafficking crisis, about hearing the damages of prostitution, about hearing from survivors, um, they came up to her and gave her a hug (laughs) and said, thank you for changing my life. Yes. And she said, in 30 years of law enforcement, I've never had one person (laughs) that I was arresting Thank you for changing my life. Like, so that's just, that's the miracle. I know. And I'm laughing because the same thing has happened where the men will turn around to her and one of them said, you are an angel because you saved me from myself that day. And she said the same thing. I've never been thanked ever by a person that I have charged. Wow. I just, yeah, it's such restorative work. Yes is really reconciling, you know, offenders to the community, like you said, to become protectors rather than perpetrators. I love that. I love that. Um, It is hard work, though. I can't 
really sit in for the full eight hours. Um, my husband is, is a protector and can go toe to toe, I think with some of the hostility that's there, um, and really kind of carry that in a very gracious way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you struggled or has this class actually helped, um, just feeling a little, a lot of anger towards the demand as you are loving and befriending women? Do you struggle with having a loving heart towards the men? I did, I would say that I didn't think that I struggled with anger toward men. I would have said, oh no, you know, I want, I want them to be reconciled, but I think hidden in me was so much anger at, um, yeah, at what it had cost in my own life and, and the damage that I was personally working through because of, you know, misogyny, Mm -hmm. um, because being under that for so long, I mean, when you have a foot on your neck, you're going to walk around with a chip on your shoulder, just, um, unless you're really, really working to recognize it and throw it off. And so I think that what's hard for me when I sit through there is not necessarily my, my anger now at the men, but the grief. Now it's like, it's really hard for me to hear some of the things that the men were arrested for, were wanting to do. Um, it is so sad and heavy yes. to me. Um, it, it takes it out of me. I mean, it just to, because those are faces now, those are women's stories. Now mm-hmm. they're not just ideas or statistics. It's like, I see her face yeah. with what he's wanting to do. And I see my story and what I was asked to do. And so it just, it, the grief is something that I just continually have to work through. So anger would have been definitely at the forefront, but then now it's like, okay, the work I've got to do is really grief work. Right. You know? So that brings me to another question, Emily. Um, and that is how do you hold so much, um, of what you're, you're encountering on a daily basis? How have you, how have you figured out, um, just in your soul to, to hold this and to do this work year after year? So I think the gift of, um, if I look all the way back to my story as a little girl singing was my safe place. And it was my connection with God. And what I didn't know then that I know now is it's like a built-in antidepressant to be able to write, to sing, to play the piano, to pick up the guitar and fumble around um, is like balm. I mean, it's offloading. It's offloading all of that. Um, So I have to make space for that uh, singing space, that worshiping, that songwriting space. Um, And then yoga and Al-Anon and um, (laughs) my awesome family. I love, I like them. Like I like my kids. I like 
my family. And I just, I, I need, I need them and I need, um, I need us, you know, and, um, it's just a good space for me to find rest in. Mm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a family ministry, a family Mm -hmm. calling, um, which probably just helps in some way. You're all kind of on mission together in this. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad, I'm thankful that you have found ways to to stay healthy and to stay in it. I know for me personally, this past Mm -hmm. year, I had to just step away. I could, Mm -hmm. I could no longer hold the amount mm. of grief and shame that I saw in the men's eyes or the, wow. the hard stories I was having to relay to teenagers in high school classes. And I just, wow. I couldn't do it anymore. Right. Um, and I know that, you know, that's perhaps would be true for you one day. It's, mm-hmm. it's different, you know, different stories, different journeys that we all have. Um, but I would love to hear your songs. Are those available anywhere? Mm-hmm. Are, have you recorded? Yeah. Yes. So you can find Brett and that's B-R-E-T-T, two T's, Brett and Emily Mills on iTunes and Spotify. Um, And you'll hear songs like Kathleen that are uh, just very personal. Um, Our our newest album is still dated. It's three years ago, um, but we wrote kind of a body of work about this journey. It's called Worth the Fight. Um, and so, yeah, you can hear all that on iTunes and Spotify. Oh my goodness. I can't wait to listen. And that will be in the show notes as well. Emily, I could go on and on talking with you and just comparing stories and adventures. Um, so perhaps one day that, that will have to be face to face, but Mm -hmm. for now, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's, it's so good to connect with people like you who've been in the work and are continuing to just hold such a beautiful space for story. So thank you, Beth. Thank you, Emily. When I got off the call with Emily, I was reminded of a section in my book where I talk about the role of other women in helping our daughters transition to adulthood. And I wrote, if we're allowed a request in heaven, I am prepared. I have long dreamed of a fire pit on a warm summer night, crickets in the background, and someone tapping a beat on a small drum. A circle of women is gathered to share stories. Miraculously, we all share a common tongue. It is what happens in heaven when a translation app is programmed into our brains. We are a vibrant group of colors in both skin and clothing. We herald from the span of history and the breadth of the world, but we are connected. Heaven has taught us how similar we are though life in the 21st century has flattened our exposure to each other. I write about a global sisterhood and a community of women that I long to be a part of and am feeling more and more through this podcast that I am a part of. Emily is another example of a female voice that we need to hear from. And I hope that you'll go explore more of their site, Jesus Said Love. How timely, right before Christmas, for you to support their work and the women that they are walking alongside of by perhaps buying some of the products in the Lovely Enterprises store. I hope you'll check out her music um, and find all of the links uh, to more of what they're doing in the show notes. I am so appreciative of those of you who have been letting me know how encouraging hearing from these women have been. 
Uh, one listener said, we need more fierce and lovely women like these. Another says, grateful for the platform of these incredible stories of fierce and lovely. Uh, thanks so much for leaving a review. And for those of you who have been listening, I would love to hear from you as well. I would just love to hear what this has meant to you and what uh, some of these women have meant to you in your story. Thanks so much. Have an incredible week. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. Podcast.